For a number of years now, I've come to really cherish All Saints Sunday as one of the most sacred days of the year. I think I have always been fond of it, this ritual of speaking names in worship and lighting a candle in memory of those who have died in the past year. I don't know, maybe it's because I'm getting older and each year I recall more and more people whom I love who have died. And more names come to mind when I ponder that great cloud of witnesses and all the company of heaven. For certain, it is no longer just my elderly family members, but also some very dear friends. And this practice, this practice is so significant and powerful. It is filled with meaning and there is just something very real and very raw about it. A seminary friend of mine, Agnes, says that All Saints is kind of like Easter without all the props. Meaning on Easter morning, with the world showing off in full bloom and the joyful parade of Christian faith expressed everywhere in worship, well, you can't help but believe that God is up to something. But on All Saints Day, it comes when darkness arrives early in the day. In fact, today, it arrives an hour earlier than yesterday. Yes, there is something very sensitive and tender about the way we honor this particular day. It is hard for us to acknowledge the reality of death. It keeps us up at night, worrying and wondering, and sometimes, sometimes even asking God why. So as we light these candles, we come face to face with our own mortality. And that can be, well, a little intimidating, even scary for some of us. So this ritual, this ritual is a way for us, for you and me to acknowledge and honor our grief, even as we profess our faith. A faith that proclaims that God's unwavering love is not limited to our lifetime, but rather God's unwavering love is eternal. God's love for the world, for you and for me, is a reality before we are even here and definitely after we are gone. That, my friends, is the foundational conviction of the faith we proclaim this day on All Saints Sunday. Today, we're going to ponder that passage from which we get the phrase, the great cloud of witnesses. It's in the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Now, in truth, we don't exactly know who the writer of Hebrews was, but we do believe that it was written by someone who had actually heard Jesus, been with Jesus when he was alive. It is written to what we might call second generation Christ followers, folks who are well versed in the faith. So having been raised in it, they know the stories of the faith. But now, now as life continues on, they're beginning to grow weary. No doubt much of their weariness is due to the fact that they were living in a time of great persecution. Persecution from the Roman Empire. It was probably between about 60 and 90 AD. And they were facing a very frightening future. They were small in number, they were poor and weak and increasingly despised, 
and Rome itself was beginning to regard them as dangerous traitors. Jesus was gone. Most, if not all, of the original apostles were dead by this time. And so the writer, or sometimes we refer to him as the preacher, for he sounds a lot like a preacher, the writer reminds them of their ancestors, those heroes of the faith. That's what much of chapter 11, the previous chapter, is about. By faith, Abraham and Sarah moved to a new land. By faith, Moses led the people out of Egypt. By faith, your people passed through the sea. By faith, Gideon and Samson and David, they led and they fought and they followed faithfully. By faith, your own mothers and fathers were persecuted, persecuted, tortured, and endured. Each story reminds the hearers that they are part of a larger family. Now remember, these folks were well-versed in the faith, and hearing those stories was like a great reminder of hope. When reflecting on the way the writer uses these stories, these brief vignettes, Peter Gomes, a professor, writer, and incredible preacher, said, we are never more a family than when we tell our stories. I like that. And I know that that statement is certainly true in our family. So this letter is written to members of the family of faith for people who needed some encouragement. People who needed some encouragement. Hmm. From talking with a few of you this past week, I know you could use a bit of encouragement in your own life. For some of us, our relationships are very rocky. Our financial picture is a little shaky. Our kids, our kids are struggling. And our faith is in need of some inspiration, some reassurance. Yes, we could use a little encouragement at this time in our lives, for sure. So this letter, which is kind of like a motivational sermon, as the preacher puts the hearers, and that is all of us, puts us in touch with those who have gone before. The writer does this by continuing to repeat that phrase, that it is by faith that we endure. It's by faith, by trusting and believing that we can endure. I've been thinking a lot about the saints this week, those who have gone before us, thinking about their examples of the faith. I've been doing this as I have been waiting, waiting and waiting for the birth of our first grandchild. Somehow, while waiting on this child to be born, I started thinking of all the people, particularly women, who've gone before us, carried, raised, nurtured, and loved us. They shared the faith with us and encouraged us when we were exhausted and at wit's end. I've thought about my mother and my grandmothers and their mothers and grandmothers and other relatives even before them. And I started imagining that they were all there cheering my daughter on this great cloud of witnesses, that awesome support team that stretches across the generations it was a beautiful image, and it helped me get through a few tough nights of waiting. I hope, I think, it helped my daughter, too. 
On All Saints Sunday, we take the time to remember the contributions of those saints who have made a significant difference in our lives. And we pause, we pause to say thank you. And in All Saints service, we lift up those who have died from our congregation since this service last year. And it's pretty incredible when you think about the witness of these saints, their witness fills us with renewed faith and deep gratitude. So this year, I wanna lift up some of the contributions, some of the gifts that their faith gave to me and perhaps to you too. I remember Joyce Covington with that little twinkle in her eye and the way she would so fondly reminisce about teaching third grade children's Sunday school with Joe Merritt right here at church. They did that together for nearly 30 years. Maybe Joyce was your Sunday school teacher. Now that, my friends, was an act of mercy for sure and a calling, a calling to educate some of our youngest members about the faith. So thank you, Joyce, and thank you, Joe. Thank you for sharing your faith so consistently and for being a bearer of light and laughter to so many. Another beautiful saint is Margaret Palmer. Margaret was a longtime member of our church and she felt God nudging her. So in the mid 1980s, Margaret and a group of volunteers from her Bible study began an informal women's ministry at the Hillsborough County Jail. God told Margaret to intercede in the lives of these women to help change their future. And she did. Margaret and her small board ran a not-for-profit organization to reach this goal. And houses have been procured for the women to stay in after leaving jail. The houses are group homes where the women establish themselves in new lives before moving out on their own. These are not halfway houses. These are houses of hope. Yes, Margaret Palmer started the Hillsborough House of Hope by bringing hope to women who had lost theirs. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you for letting your faith guide you. And thank you for loving your neighbors so very well. And then there's Patricia Hare. Oh my. Pat Hare. Pat gave countless students instrument and voice lessons, teaching just about every instrument known to humans. She gave ballroom dance lessons. She was an incredibly talented seamstress, teaching many people how to sew all throughout South Tampa. She was funny and talented and a witty woman. But because of her faith in God, she was committed to a life of service. And so well into her 90s, she was still committed to a life of service. Pat could be found riding her bicycle around South Tampa, and she could be present to volunteer at the Performing Arts Center or the Florida Aquarium, the Visitor Center, the Convention Center, Metropolitan Ministries. But my favorite was watching her volunteer at Tampa General Hospital where she volunteered in many different capacities, but rocking newborns was her favorite. She did this until Tampa General told her that she could no longer serve in this capacity because she was so unsteady on her feet. So at the age of 95, she called me one day, and in the conversation she said, hmm, I bet the aquarium will still let me volunteer. Oh my, a life committed to service 
What an example. By faith, Pat brought a smile and a kind word to many, lifting their spirits along the way. Thank you, Pat. And then there's Harry Hutt. Harry had a spark about him. No one was a stranger to Harry. His love for Jesus was easy to see. And over the years, he supported many of our mission endeavors like the Hillsborough House of Hope or the purchase of the homeless Jesus statue at the portico. He facilitated a number of small groups and was a very faithful usher, welcoming folks into worship and a regular, a regular at his Wednesday men's group. I'm grateful for the ways Harry loved this community, this church, and the people here. Now I'd like to mention one more, Mary Lib Stevenson. In case you don't remember Mary Lib, I think this memory of her will make you smile if you knew her or not. This story was shared with me and it certainly rang true with my experience of her. Mary Lib was a regular in her worship attendance. She always sat on the right side of the sanctuary her friends and distant cousins, Kay Murphy and Celia Furman, always sat on the left side. So they would often meet up when they came to the center aisle to go down for communion on communion Sundays. Well, Kay told me that one Sunday when they were coming into the center aisle and turning to go forward, they looked down and they noticed Mary Lib was right beside them, but she was barefooted. And so we told her, Mary Lib, you don't have any shoes on. And she replied, this, this is holy ground. I had to take my shoes off. Mary Lib knew how to worship and she was free in sharing her joyful praise. Oh, friends, there are so many others I'd like to talk about. Bill Honey singing in the choir. Sig Ruiz and Lisa Ryland, so happy just to come to worship. But allow me to share two final stories, two stories of those whom we honor and thank this day. Just five Sundays ago, on October 2nd, we celebrated World Communion Sunday. In between services, we received a call on the emergency line asking that someone would take home communion to Ray Shepherdson after church, take it to his assisted living facility as his health was really declining. So at the end of the 11 o'clock service, I asked Roger Jackson if he would be willing to do that. And he knew Ray. He had visited him before. And without hesitation, Roger said, yes, I'd be happy to do that. That evening, I checked in with Roger to see how it had gone. And this was the message he texted me. Sally, Ray was struggling a great deal with breathing. His hospice nurse was there, and I was concerned that partaking of the sacrament would irritate him even more. So I prayed for Ray, and I took the sacrament on his behalf. I hope that was the right way to handle it, considering his situation. Wow, how kind and gracious I texted Roger back and said, Roger, I think your response was divinely inspired. Thank you for being so sensitive. Dr. Ray, humble, faithful, caring man of God, died two days later. And 17 days after that, unexpectedly, Roger Jackson got very sick. 
17 days later, on October 19th, the day before Roger died, I visited him in the hospital and we talked about that communion service with Ray. And I thanked him again. And even though he was having trouble breathing and he was in pain himself, he said, divinely inspired. Divinely inspired. That's what you said. Days later, as I was pondering Ray's life and Roger's life and their deaths, I realized that that was the last time either one of them received Holy Communion. They did it together. Divinely inspired indeed. Friends, today, today we are all invited to take Holy Communion together, together with all the company of heaven, with all the saints, that great cloud of witnesses who have cheered us on, and they still do. Yes, we keep company with generations of Christians who have been our mentors and our role models, whether they are figures from the Bible or people we actually knew firsthand. They have demonstrated what it means to live a life of faith. They have encouraged us. And even now, I believe they pray for us. I don't know. It's as if you and I are on this huge track in a sports arena, taking the baton from those who have completed their laps. And now we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses cheering us on as we take our turn to run the race Jesus sets before us. I am so grateful for the ways they shared life and faith with us. And by honoring them today, we see our own place in this grand march of history and the ongoing work of God. That recognition is a humbling motivation for us to continue the legacy of faith, to turn in our estimates of giving and contribute to the unfolding story of God's love. Friends, will you pray with me? Oh God of the generations, thank you for reminding us today that we do not walk this journey alone. When our energy is flagging, remind us of the stories of our faith and of the saints who've gone before us. Yes, those who even now love us, pray for us and cheer us on. Amen.